Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and of course, WCLM in uh, Richmond, Virginia. L.A. Bachelor with you. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. Appreciate you listening uh, to the broadcast. If you miss any of the broadcasts, you can uh, make sure you go to our website, the Bachelor News Radio network.com website and then there on the uh, home page at the top left you'll see the Bassin News Radio show listen to any of the shows this one and any want to bring in uh, my next guest he of, of course is from uh, the Nashville Voice sportsawakening.com and touring the AFC South and it's on every Thursday 9 p.m. Eastern 8 p.m. Uh, Central Time Always good to have the general on, Mike Patton. And, Mike, appreciate you coming on, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me in this uh, looking around this nice, sunny, but cold day in Nashville. (laughs) Oh, it's not as sunny, but it's kind of a little nippy here in Carolina, uh, especially for people who are from Carolina, not me. But um, you you, you talk about the AFC South. Let's. It's a lot of stuff going on there in that division. Let's talk about it first. Uh, the Titans make some moves. They bring in Bud Dupree and some others. Uh, first, what does Bud Dupree do? Do you like the move? He's coming off an injury, but do you like the move uh, in terms of helping that defense? Definitely like the move. Uh, I mean, the Titans are stars for a pass rusher. And they need a guy like Bud Dupree. Uh, the, the the big question is, uh, can he do it without T.J. Uh, White? That's the biggest question. But I do like the move and the aggressiveness from the Tennessee Titans because in the past they usually are not this aggressive uh, and not this generous with the paychecks in free agency. I, that was going to be my question. Um, you know, it's and I like the Bud Dupree. I I thought Pittsburgh did the wrong thing, but they've done that in the past with linebackers. Um, but you know, can if you look at the other side and the scheme that they like to run, can he be successful? I think he definitely can be successful. And the thing that that makes this scheme unique in terms of him being successful is that he has two inside guys that can wreck shop and Danico Autry, who they brought in from the uh, Colts, and also uh, Jeffrey Simmons, who's still on a rookie contract. So they have the two inside big boys that are going to take a lot of attention away and actually be able to free him up a little bit more also. And when you look at some of the other moves they've, they've made, uh, I know they lost their tight end, um, and you you look at the the issues that they had on defense, giving up chunks of yards, not being able to really rush the, the passer. Um, what are you saying? What what do you think about the off season so far? And what are you hearing in terms of? I know draft's not here yet. We'll talk more specific about. But what do you see in terms of their first pick in the draft? As far as defensively, I mean, you you look at who they replaced and who they brought in, and and it definitely tells you a a few things. Uh, You know, you you bring back Jayon Brown uh, on a one-year, $5.5 million contract. You 
get rid of Adoree Jackson and uh, Malcolm Butler, and you bring in um, Janoris Jenkins, and you bring in a uh, defensive back from the Cleveland Browns as well. Uh, name escapes me at this point. But both of those guys they brought in are playmakers when it comes to when the football is in the air. And that's one thing that the Titans did not have last year. I will say they maybe had that sometimes with Malcolm Butler, but they definitely didn't have that with Adoree Jackson, along with actually him being healthy. So the the, the swap out of the defense and bringing in uh, the guys they brought in definitely tells me that they're looking more towards having playmakers to go along with the pass rush up front uh, and being more of a, a opportunistic defense in terms of that aspect of, of their game. You're just joining us. We'll talk with Mike Patton here on the Bassin News Radio Show, WCOM Chapel Hill, WCLM in Richmond, Virginia. Um, uh, Mike, the is there any concern, in your opinion, that with the moves they made on defense and the aggressiveness, the way you're talking about uh, being able to get guys up in the air and 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 be athletic and make some plays defensively, that the coach, who is a defensive guy in Vrabel, if he's calling the defensive plays, will that kind of mute or kind of cancel out the off-season moves that they've made thus far? Well, one thing I found out about the uh, defensive scheme last year, and you'll find this interesting, is that Mike Vrabel actually didn't call the plays. I actually brought on uh, Teron Davenport, who covers the uh, Titans for ESPN, and he actually, Teron said that actually the, the, the guys, the defensive coordinator now was calling the call, calling the uh, calls and everything, but he just didn't have the label of being the defensive coordinator. So that part actually is going to be the same going into this year, along with, uh, you know, having been, being able to have an off season where he can kind of implement his scheme, which Teron, you know, definitely believes it's going to be better. So that actually, you know, whatever they bring in, the defensive coordinator is actually – they're going to be working with the same guy, the guys that are still there. And, you know, Vrabel actually was a little more hands-off than what was initially reported. Yeah, I thought that uh, we thought he was a little more too too hands-on, uh, especially in the way, like I said, the, the, the chunk of yardage that they gave up. So I'm surprised to hear mm-hmm. that. Um, but that's a good thing for them especially with the, the talent that they're bringing in now. So it's no excuses for them uh, to get it done defensively. Offensively, what are you seeing on that side of the ball before we uh, go to another team? Uh, as far in terms as of uh, needs. Said offensively, or, offensively or defensively? Yeah. Just in general. Offensively in terms of needs. Yeah. Oh, in terms of needs, uh, I mean, they, they did bring in a, a wide receiver in, uh, John, in uh, Reynolds, from the Los Angeles Rams, which I think was a great bargain pick with more targets. He'll, you know, potentially be close to cracking a thousand yards this year for the Tennessee Titans, but they need another wide receiver. And it wouldn't surprise me if they go wide receiver in the draft. I have a scene out there, maybe a few wide receivers there for them. Uh, And, you know, that could potentially be somewhere to go um, with the first pick that they have. Um, but that hadn't necessarily turned out well for the Titans over the years, to be honest. But that that would be the place I would look right now. Other than that, I would say maybe you look offensive tackle. 
potentially. I mean, you got rid of Isaiah Wilson, who, for all intents and purposes, really wasn't, you know, the guy they thought he was, or they kind of reached a little bit for him. And, of course, they got rid of him, and now he's released from the Dolphins. Um, and, you know, you got rid of Dennis Kelly. And right now you have a pretty much an open spot at one tackle and Taylor Lewan coming in off the injury. So it wouldn't surprise me if they go off to a tackle as well. You know, I want to switch to the Colts. You mentioned a player defensively coming in from their um, interest in offseason uh, really immediately um, when their season ends. Of course, the trade with Carson Wentz. Um, and T.Y. Hilton saying, listen, I want to be a Colt. I'm not going there. He, apparently, allegedly, uh, reportedly, he turned down a big offer from the Ravens and some other teams, multi-million um, and multi-years to stay as a Colt. What do you see with them, um, with those two moves in particular, and and what they their needs will be uh, moving forward towards the draft? Well, one thing I see is that the Eagles will gain a first-round pick because I believe Carson Wentz will play uh, that percentage of snaps that's needed to convert that second-round pick to a first-round pick in the 2022 draft. Uh, secondly, um, you know, Frank Reich and, and Carson, Carson Wentz has had success, his, his most success under Frank Reich. So that's something I'm looking forward to seeing and seeing if he can kind of recapture that magic because this is essentially uh, his last chance to me being a starter in the NFL uh, because there was reports out there that he initially, once he got benched, was he knew he was out of out of Philly and knew he wanted to get out of Philly. So, you know, this is it right here to me for him. If he doesn't work this out, if this doesn't happen here, it's going to be pretty dicey on him getting uh, another starting position, uh, especially with quarterbacks coming in each and every year and teams wanting to go younger and, and you know, get more quarterbacks on the rookie cap while paying other positions. So that's the thing to watch. And with T.I., it's going to be – T.Y., I'm sorry. It's going to be interesting to see the chemistry that him and Wentz can can forge together uh, as as they you know, work in uh, the camps and, and everything like that. That will be interesting to see because it just seemed like last year Rivers and T.Y. never really got on the same page. Uh, that maybe later in the season got on the same page, but it just didn't seem like they were in sync. You know, part of that's probably because of, you know, not having off-season training camps, things like that. But uh, part of that is, to me, seemed like he trusted the younger players a little bit more than T.Y. And for, for reasons I don't understand. But that's what I gather, and I think T.Y. is either going to have a bounce-back season or he's going to be a one-year potentially think about retirement. You think your gut feeling in the beginning right now, based on a roster, based on bounce-back, based on um, knowing this coach, that Carson Wentz will have a successful year next year? Mm. My gut feeling is it's going to be an uneven season. Uh, what I mean by that is the first part of the season is going to be a little bit probably dicey for Carson Wentz, in my opinion, as he learns this team, uh, learns the city, learns a lot of the different toys he has at his disposal. But I believe as the season goes on, he gets better. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's a it's just to be interesting interesting to see if those games that they lose early on end up costing them or 
his performance end up costing them and, you know, I mean, costing them in, like, losses, not costing them in terms of just his performance in general. Well, I think their backup quarterback is getting the Tyrod Taylor uh, effect and to no, not of his doing at all. Um, certainly he, he performed at a high level, but, you know, we'll see. Um, with Carson being there, and they made the trade, so that they're gonna ride it out with him and see at least for this year, um, you know, barring barring injuries or whatever. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, going to Jacksonville uh, as you cover the South, uh, all reports or most reports are saying they will go with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they got um, uh, an Urban Weiner, I call him, as the head coach uh, coming in from being on the sidelines, you know, getting benched literally by Ohio State, now going to the NFL. I, I see a, a Steve Superior type of uh, uh, Nick Saban type thing happening, but that's my opinion. Um, but what do you see with, with Lawrence and with that offense? Do he has enough weapons around him to be successful? Uh, I definitely think at the wide receiver spot he's successful. Um, I mean, he'll, he has enough weapons, I, I should say. Uh, you got Chenault, which is a second-year player out of Colorado. You've got Shark, who is out of LSU. And you've got Marvin Jones, the veteran wide receiver, to come in and, and make some things happen. They did lose Keenan Cole this offseason. However, I believe Marvin Jones can easily replace that type of production. Um, as far as the tight end position, though, they haven't had a tight end, I don't believe, since Mercedes Lewis. And this offseason, they signed a couple of tight ends, but neither one of those guys jumped out at me as an actual threat in the passing game. So that's still a huge hole for them. Maybe they fill it in the draft. Uh, maybe they don't, but that's the huge hole for them offensively. And at running back, you got Carlos Hyde, which – you know, I found it very interesting to hear the story about when he was first in Jacksonville and didn't want to go in games sometimes. But, you know, and then you've got uh, Robinson, who was an undrafted rookie and went for a 1,000 yards last year. So he's got weapons around him, just a tight end position, which is, you know, typically the security blanket for a quarterback. That, that position is pretty barren. Yeah, especially a, a rookie quarterback. You know, they they trying to get rid of the ball. The tight end's always a safety guy, but we'll see what happens with that um, with that staff and and with Trevor Lawrence if if he's the guy. Um, the final team, obviously, the Houston Texans um, with Deshaun Watson. You know, the latest uh, news is that eighteen of the new twenty one or eighteen of the twenty one allegations of um, sexual um, misconduct, if you will, have come out and and spoke up for Deshaun, according to his attorney. Um, we know how a lot of that stuff works. Um, I asked you off air, and I'll ask you on air, how much, first of all, will he be in Houston before the start, or at the start of the season? If so, how would that work? If not, where do you think he's going? Let's let's start with that first. All right. As far as if he's going to be on the roster, well, well, let me start with the first thing. It was actually 18 separate women that actually came out and, and supported him, not the 18 of the 21. But um, one thing I would say right. is I actually 
do believe that he'll be in Houston in uh, as the start of the season. The reason why I believe that is because I think he might end up on the commissioner's exempt list, to be honest. I, I think that's why he'll be in Houston to start the season. I mean, no matter if he, you know, if, if it comes out that he is or isn't guilty, I'm not assessing any blame here at all. That's, that's not my role. That's not what I do. But what I am saying is, you know, with the uh, with everything mounting uh, against him, more than likely he'll end up on the commissioner's exempt list, which will in, in turn keep him in Houston because teams will be watching to see what happens with the cases. And, you know, I've asked you about the the monetary side, and like you, I'm not saying that he did it or didn't do it. I'm just asking the questions. It feels as though the timing was really suspect, number one. And number two, that that climate in Houston, and I'm sure he doesn't want to be a part of. I mean, they're dysfunctional, that franchise. So... Do you think there is any kind of conspiracy to sort of, quote, unquote, um, hurt his pocket um, coming from the Texans, or this is just something that the attorney that's involved was representing so many of these these um, people who are filing these lawsuits, these civil lawsuits, uh, that it's just a money grab for this attorney? Well, let me just uh, go ahead and, and let this out now because there's a lot of people that are saying that, you know, the Texans could be involved because this lawyer lives in the same neighborhood as Texas owner and things like that. I'll tell you from my source, Texans owner is not involved. So you can go ahead and throw that one out. That one's not, not valid at this point from the information I've received. Um, also, I would say the, the lawyer – for as much as uh, he doesn't say it, uh, what I've heard is he is a Texan super fan. So, you know, take that for what it's worth as well. Also, um, he's the same guy that represented Mario Williams' fiance when Mario Williams was trying to get his his uh, engagement ring back. He's the same guy. Also, another bit of knowledge as well is just, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, when there was three or four women, um, the claim was they didn't know each other, but they were all represented by the same lawyer who, just for information purposes, he's not a, a sexual assault or anything like that type of lawyer. He's actually an offshore litigation lawyer. That's how he makes his money. So he doesn't really even represent these type of cases either. Um so just to get back to the, to the original four women that, that came out with civil suits or civil charges against the Sean Watson, um, one, three, were in, three were in Texas and one was in Georgia. So can somebody tell me how one, the one from Georgia skips over all those states and just happens to find the same lawyer in Georgia, I mean in Texas, that these other three women are with? That right there was kind of struck me as a little bit peculiar in terms of everything. But, you know, of course, I'm not absolving any, anyone. I don't know if anyone's guilty or not. Uh, but but just, Mike, there's a lot of oddities in this. Yeah, let me ask you the, the, the word peculiar because if this is the same mm-hmm. lawyer that represented Mario Williams, 
and and that thing and Mario played where with the Texans. You have the Sean with right. the Texans. You have this this super fan lawyer who's connected with these players that or or whether you know on the opposite side of these players. Is it not? You don't feel like it's any kind of hatchet connection. I call it a hatchet connection when it comes to the Texans and this guy kind of doing their dirty work. Well, I will tell you this. Um, just look at the Houston Texans owner and who he hired as general manager. He hired the chaplain as the replacement general manager for Bill O'Brien. So do you look at that owner and say, hey, I can pull off this elaborate scheme to get this amount of women to get charges against Deshaun Watson if, you know, if, if you know, just not saying he's not guilty or not, but just saying if that was, in fact, the case. I, I, you know, from what I've I've talked to, I've talked to, and who I've, uh, um, you know, com- we've had conversations with, uh, they don't see him as even a guy that could be able to pull something off like this, at all. Okay, and it, the the elevator's moving up, but it's not reaching the top type thing. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I, I didn't say it. I just was giving the, the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, he's not the brightest bulb. I'm saying it. Uh, so I want to uh, switch to the, the Grizzlies because it's interesting where they are. When you look at the East, you look at the West. The, if the Grizzlies were in the East, they're like right there with like the Knicks and other teams. And 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 you know, in fair fairness, they're only. Um, a, a, you know, a little bit behind Golden State, so they're in the quote-unquote playoff hunt, or at least the play-in now. That whole scenario. But if you look at them now at, at their tenth, and they're only a, like a game and a half out of behind Dallas, really. So, it, is it one of those years with the Grizzlies, with this roster, where they are, that they just need to just kind of dog it so they can get a, a better draft pick? Or is it better for them to try to go ahead and, and make the playoffs? And do you think they'll make the playoffs? Honestly, I think it's better for them just to go ahead and try to make the playoffs. I mean, dogging it doesn't has never really guaranteed any team anything. I mean, you know, it may guarantee you getting a star player or anything or something like that, but has it guaranteed really anybody winning besides the Spurs or, you know, anyone like that else? You know, just take a look at that and kind of examine that, and then, you know, anyone can get actually, you know, on their answer. Um, you know, so I don't think that necessarily is the answer, dogging it. I think they need to push for it and try to make the playoffs. Um, I think that will benefit them. And, you know, I hate it that, the, that they are in the West despite being uh, in the East geographically, the Southeast, if you want to get technically, technical about it. And, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, they need to go ahead and try to push to make the playoffs. And I think they could do some damage, uh, especially if they got, uh, you know, healthy one and consistency two, especially from uh, Mr. Brooks at a shooting guard position. He's, ever since he got paid and he got his extension, he's been a little inconsistent. I'm not saying I'm against him getting paid. But I'm just saying, hey, you know, they are paying you now, so you, you might want to be a little bit more consistent, Mr. Brooks. Yeah, I mean, they, they're not bad in terms of uh, rebounding and assists, but they don't score a lot of points. Um, they, their defense is, is 
okay. Um, but when you look at that roster, it, it were they you know better than I. Were they scrapped where they couldn't make a lot of moves at the um, the trade deadline? And, and and when you look at this roster moving forward um, next year, what is it going to look like? Honestly, I think the biggest thing that hurt them is uh, that the uh, health of Jaron Jackson Jr. That hurt them probably the worst of anything. Uh, he hasn't really been healthy the entire season. Um that gives them a, another guy to go to for more consistency. Even when he's not shooting the basketball, he still gives you consistency on the defensive end of the floor. So that, I think, will in turn act like a trade for them for next season, even if, you know, they don't make a ton of moves. So that will give them that second player. Valanchunas hasn't been very consistent. However, they did pay him, so he's not going anywhere. Um, the biggest thing I would say is they're probably going to just uh, – the, the, the Grizzlies' M.O. is not to bring in front-line players or to make big-time trades. Their M.O. is to grow and nurture players. You know, if you look at uh, Mark Gasol and uh, Mike Conley Jr., you look at Pau Gasol before him, before him, they nurtured and grew the players that they believed in and felt were the core of their team. So, to me, I think that's what they'll do, and I think what they'll do also is they'll make the complimentary players or, you know, the pieces that are leaving, they'll make their decisions there. But they'll make, if any trades, it'll be for complimentary players, not necessarily star players on a team that just doesn't fit their MO at all. Yeah, but they're almost like the Marlins without the titles. Like, they nurture these guys, and then when they get good, they let them go. I mean, you know, the Mike Conley's or whatever, and and, and Casal, but they don't have the titles to show for it. Um, is is the case? Um, final two questions for you, real quick, uh, before you go. Uh, I know I got Nick mm-hmm. Canassis on. Um, talk about Roy Williams. I mean, retiring fourth fourth winner in his coach in D one, the only coach in D one with four hundred plus wins. <laughs> Uh, he's made it to the made it to the uh, tournament thirty out of thirty three years, both at Kansas and Carolina. Assess him as an all timer, in your opinion. I mean, very solid coach. Coach guys that actually were one and done. Coach guys that were, you know, three four years, uh, or and, and you know made players better, but also uh, severely underachieved with talented teams. So he's kind of like a, a guy that did great in terms of players and developing players and things like that. But he also was kind of, you know, disappointing in terms of the actual team and taking the team where they should go with the talent that they had. So, you know, he's kind of like a great people person and coach, but not necessarily a great guy in terms of the um, winning championships department. So if you want to grade him by grade by championships and things like that, he's not necessarily the greatest coach ever, but he's, he's, a very solid coach, but just, you know, he came up short in a lot of those instances when he had teams that were stacked pretty much. Um, you know, I definitely – go ahead. I was going to say I totally agree with you. I think that especially uh, and when he got into the rivalry with with, with Duke, uh, he, he coached not to lose. Um, he did it to Kansas too. Uh, I'm not taking away his titles, but I do think, like you said – I think that he's got more – he had more talent coming through Carolina. I don't know Jordan gave him a lot of credit and stuff like that, but 
a lot of talent came through North Carolina, more so in my opinion than Duke. But Coach K does a lot more with his lesser talent, which are talented kids, but not to me the Roy Williams kids that came through. He did a lot less than um, he he could have. So I agree with you. Right, right. It, you know, hey, you, you know, you definitely could have picked uh, like my friend uh, Karita Parks, uh, who's definitely very, very talented in the PR world, and with her website Double Take Sports. Uh, like she said, he could have definitely picked a better day to announce this because people were thinking it was an April Fool's Day joke all day. <laughs> no, right? When I, I saw have. it, I thought about that. Is that seriously? Um, last question real quick, if you can. Um, just assess the the final four. At the time of the broadcast of this broadcast, you have some, some schools that are in it, that the men's side, um, that are – you wouldn't normally see, I'd say, Gonzaga being more of a uh, powerhouse now. They're not a surprise anymore. Is it the the level playing field in this field and, and, and really the last couple of fields, or, or do you think specifically in this year it has something to do with COVID, with teams not being able to practice, less games, less competition? What's your thoughts? I would say this, COVID leveled the playing field for everybody. Everybody had limited practice. Everybody had, uh, you know, their bouts with it as well. So, you know, uh, while many people want to say, hey, you know, this is happening because of COVID or this happening because of this, that, and the other, basically what it did is it kind of broke it down essentially to the bare bones of basketball. Uh, not, you know, the crowd influencing this or this player doing this or, you know, those type of things. It was basically, hey, you're facing this person. There's no advantages with any home crowds or anything of that nature. Can you get it done as a team? Can you get it done as a coach? So that part was, you know, what I love the most about the tournament this year. And, you know, COVID affected it, but it affected everybody involved. And, you know, I just applaud all four teams that are in there. And I just, uh, you know, definitely uh, I'm interested to see if Gonzaga can take it all the way, which, you know, they are not known to do. <laughs> right. Um, just ask my Yukon Huskies when they got there that year then. Um, Mike, before you go, please do let people know about the broadcast and, and how they can listen and how they can follow you, sir. All right. Well, tonight, uh, about another two and a half hours, I'll be going on live talking uh, the ASC South, toward the ASC South tonight doing a little bit of draft talk, you know, so a lot of draft picks have changed since the, uh, the, the free agents. So going to check that out, go over that. And it'll be on at Eastern time, 8 PM central. It's on the HAP news app. If you would go to play store, download the HAP news app, or you can uh, watch it on uh, Twitter as well. My Twitter handle is at Mike Patton 82. That's at Mike Patton, this is P-A-T-T-O-N 82, uh, or you can watch it on my YouTube channel as well, which is Sports Awakening. So be there, be square, and get ready to uh, have a good time and uh, have a few laughs as well because, you know, I like to practice, uh, I guess, being a comedian or a scratch comedian, you know, time to time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, man, you got 87 jobs, but uh, you do a fine job in all of them. 
I appreciate well, you, you, Mike, as always, day. sir. You missed uh, one today. I missed one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a uh, – actually, I'm, I'm, you know, I might as well say I'm a freelance writer at this point. But, yeah, I'm actually doing some uh, articles for the Tennessee Tribune, which is doing articles for them as well. I got two article, two feature articles getting ready to come up soon with them. Man, you are all over the place. Tennessee Tribune and everybody on the show, you're a freelancer and in every sense of the word. Mike, I appreciate you, man. Be, be safe. We'll talk with you next week. Yes, sir. Thanks, Mike. Mike Patton, of course, uh, he covers the AFC South. As you heard, he uh, also um, uh, works free, does some freelance work for the Nashville Voice, uh, sportsawakening.com and the Tennessee Tribune on the show. It's the two megastars summer mashup. The awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for $0 so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Welcome back to the Bassin News Radio Show on the Bassin News Radio Network, WCOM, WCLM. Uh, and Chapel Hill and uh, Richmond, Virginia, as well as L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. We appreciate you. Uh, if you missed any part of the broadcast, go to our website, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, Bachelor with a T. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. And follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation and on, uh, on Facebook and Pad Nation 2 at Twitter. We thank you for checking in. Speaking of checking in, uh, always good to have him on patiently waiting on the line. I appreciate that. Uh, he is uh, from Anastas Media and uh, from UMass Lowell Basketball. He is Nick Anastas. And Nick, uh, what's shaking, man? All is well? I'm good, LA. How are you? I'm good, good. Thanks for your patience, like I said. Man, I've been watching it the last time we talked about the Celtics and, and kind of catching up some more on them just actually kind of accidentally catching some of the games but it's it's relevant to the conversation that this team just I it's just really hard to figure them out defensively like they lost their way defensively when teams just know just pick and roll just keep screening keep picking and rolling and they're just slow in terms of the the help Number one. Number two, I thought it, it seems as though, uh, again, maybe it's just me, that they're, the, the fact that they're undersized is starting to catch up with them. And then offensively, and this is, this is basketball 101, Nick, if you're shooting a ton of threes like they do and you're missing the threes, how about going to the basket? You got a Jason Tatum. You you got uh, uh, g- g- great people who could get Jalen Brown, guys who can get their own shot and get to the basket. They don't do that. So I don't know if it's coaching or 
or or what, but those are the three areas I see with this team right now. And if they have any idea, if they think they, they're going to go far into the playoffs, I really don't see it. Yeah, if they even make the playoffs, right? I mean, right now they're, they're sitting two games below 500 in the eighth and final spot in the East. So that's not guaranteed. Uh, yeah, this whole season has been a disappointment. No question about it. Um, when you compare the expectations coming in to the product that we've seen, particularly over the last month or so, it's, it's really just been night and day different. Um, in, in terms of the defense, yeah, it's been inconsistent all season. So has the offense. So has the rebounding. So has the turnovers. I mean, you can go up and down the list. Uh, the Celtics right now don't do anything well. They don't. It's, you talk about shot selection, uh, to your point, for sure. Um, you, you know, they have guys that can put up points, we know. They have two all-stars that can get their own shot, to your point again. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what else you can ask for at this point from either Brown uh, or Tatum because they have met expectations. They have played well. We'll get back to Nick Anastas. Lost him. We'll get him back on the line in uh, just a bit. Um, talking about the Celtics and really um, struggling. Uh, and it's just – I think Nick hit it on the, the nose of the fact that they are not doing anything well on any side of the, the ball. Um, they, they, they don't match up well. They don't rotate well defensively. They're getting out-rebound. They take poor shots, bad shot selection. And they just seem to be fragmented. It's like, you know, dribble uh, the ball. You go one-on-one, no real crisp passing, no real execution. And I don't know if it's the coaching um, or the lack of the, the, the continuity that maybe they just, they're just not playing well as a team. And and it's evident, um, and you know that when you you look at the East, it's it's talk about a year where the Knicks are in a better position. The the Knicks who have been god awful for so long are are at five hundred, and the Celtics are barely in the playoff hunt. Two games under five hundred, and Nick uh, said, so it, it's just really really been sort of a weird year. We're going to take this break. Hopefully we'll get Nick and Asses back on the line on the Best of News Radio Show. Stay tuned. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the show. It's the Vast News Radio Show. We thank you for joining us. We'll go back to Nick and Nassus. And Nick, we were talking about uh, the Celtics. And in my question, they just seem in disarray. I mean, it's not even like you said, the talent thing. It just seems like they're just out of sync. They never really got in sync. And it's been going on not just this year, but last year. Even, like I said, the rotations. They don't seem to be able to, or, or they're not communicating well. And and it's surprising. Is the coaching? What What do you think it is? I, I'm not sure there is an easy answer. Unfortunately, I'm I'm not quite convinced that there's any easy fix. That there's any one size fits all answer. Um, I do still hold out some hope that perhaps. Again, when this team finally gets fully healthy, I guess is is the excuse, uh, particularly in the backcourt. But but as we talked about on this program before with Kemba Walker, it, it just seems like sometimes there's there's moments on the floor where it looks like he's not quite sure how he fits in with this group. And I think that 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 more than any. Uh, anything else perhaps uh, leads to some of these cohesion issues. I'm not trying to pin everything on Kemba, but when you have a point guard who isn't quite sure what role they play in that offense or in that system, then that can some kind, sometimes trickle down. Uh, that being said, over the last 12 months, there have been a, a steady rotation of, of new role players that have come in that are still, I think, trying to learn their way. A lot of young role players. Uh, the Grant Williamses of the world, uh, the two rookies this year. Uh, Peyton Pritchard has been a, a pretty pro- pleasant surprise in my view. Uh, Olajay hasn't really been able to stay healthy and be consistent. I mean, Robert Williams, Romeo Langford, 
Tremont Waters. These are all, you know, one or two year guys, new guys that Brad Stevens has had to uh, kind of pick and choose what role that they they play, how they fit in, and, and how the roster fills out. So, uh, outside of that starting four or five, that core four or five, uh, with Daniel Tice just got sent packing. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, of flux up and down the, you know, the lower two-thirds of the roster, so to speak. So that's part of it, I guess. But, but, but the main thing is that they've just underperformed. It's that simple. They have underachieved, underperformed, to the point now where the playoffs are now in, in jeopardy uh, in a weak Eastern Conference. I mean, that, that's just flat-out unacceptable at this point to be sitting 23 and 25 in the eighth spot. Well, I was surprised they they went offensive uh, in in the you know in a trade uh, deadline rather than getting tougher and and getting some more defensive minded folks in there. Uh, first thing, the second thing is if they don't make the playoffs, and you kind of hit it where I was going to go in in a weak year for the the East. Does that make any kind of concerns for uh, Brad Stevens, or is he on the hot seat at all? He's not on the hot seat now, or yet. But if this keeps up, he will be, and he'll be on there quickly. Um, you know, again, I do still think that they have a chance to turn it around. I think there's enough time left. Where and they're talented enough. Where they, if they could get in a rhythm, let's say, and win seven out of ten, uh, as opposed to losing seven out of ten, like they have, um, you know, then this thing looks, I think, a lot different. If they're at least on a semi-winning streak, or at least passing the eye test going into the playoffs. So from that perspective, with Brad Stevens, he's he's definitely got time before the end of the year. But. Um, but but bottom line is, I mean, you know, patience runs thin up here quickly, as as you know. Uh, Stevens mm-hmm. has enough of a track record. He has had enough success to, to give him a pass to this point. But moving forward, again, if this continues much longer, then, then his name is going to, you know, be, be, be start spoken a little more negatively. You're just joining us to talk with Nick Anastas here on the Bassett News Radio Show. Um, Nick, and by the way, turn LA, real into quick, the real, real quick LA, to, 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 to pile on to your point about the trade deadline and trying to get quote unquote tougher inside. It surprised me as well. Uh, the toughest guy on the roster got shipped out of town, and I'm not talking about Marcus right. Smart, who you know Daniel Tice did a lot of good things for this team, and they didn't get much back in return, in my opinion. I mean, this is a guy who can bang down low, six eight. Uh, but rebounds like he's 6'11". Right? He's got a wingspan of 6'10", 6'11". Uh, unselfish player, pretty good passer, uh, good screen setter, can defend the pick and roll on defense as well as guard the low post. And I felt like they just moved him like he was an afterthought, especially in a year when you go out and pay Tristan Thompson and you're only getting seven and eight a night from Thompson. He's supposed to be that tough guy inside, right? So, you know, right. he's underperformed, and then they play – they actually the guy who has been playing well for the last three years in Daniel Tice, they go ahead and move. So I'm scratching my head a little bit over that midseason move as well. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. No, that's, that's right. I mean, Danny Ainge, it, as 
again, we talked about Danny Ainge and the moves and what he likes to do and these not huge splashes, you know, in the uh, with the the trade and stuff. But I, I'm with you and Tristan Thompson. That not only giving you seven tonight, he's not even on the court. Um, so, you know, that's that's right. another issue with, with 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 that team. So you're right; they have some time and. And they should utilize, hopefully they utilize the, the fact that, I mean, the Knicks are 24 and 24, for God's sake. So you know what kind of year it is. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Although they, you know, they, they, they've gone in the right direction, I think. Speaking of which, you look at uh, the Patriots and, you know, I think we talked about Belichick and all the cat money he had. He's been bringing people in. Um, and, you you look at this this roster now. I don't know why. It, first of all, is there any talk? I, I I wish people would fans especially some of these so called experts will put the rest. The Jimmy G. I don't believe is coming back there. I know that the Forty ers are moving up. They're talking about bringing in the kid from Alabama. I got that, but you know he's a rookie in a division that's very competitive. I can't see them giving up on Jimmy G at least one year, allowing him to see if he can get them back to the playoffs and go deep and that kind of thing, like when they went to the Super Bowl. But having said that, uh, you you look at them at 15, if I'm not mistaken, and if they want to draft the quarterback, are you hearing or do you think they'll try to move up? There were some rumors about them you know, swapping with the Giants and moving up a little more to get one of those, getting that top 10 at least to try to get a quarterback. Do you, do you see that? Are you hearing that at all? And what about Jimmy G and that, that whole scenario? I think the Jimmy G thing is noise at this point. Uh, you don't see typically see a starting quarterback get traded uh, come April. Usually that happens in, in March, right when free agency is declared. So, and I know, you know, you say, oh, well, it's only been two weeks since three, or three weeks, two and a half, whatever it's been, since free agency officially opened. Sure, officially. But, but again, guys are making their moves. Their agents are making their moves, uh, you know, back in December, basically. As soon as that player is done, you know, regular season or playoffs, uh, their agent is, is in motion, you know, figuring out a landing spot, whatever it is, um, and I know Jimmy G's not a free agent, but, but it plays into that. If they were going to move him, it would have happened by now is my point. Uh, April 1st, and now all eyes, I think, are on the draft. That blueprint you've laid out in San Francisco theoretically makes sense. Have the veteran guy. Give him another year. He's been to a Super Bowl. He is a game manager. You want to draft the young kid, perfect opportunity to have him slide in behind and learn the ropes. I think that makes a lot more sense than dealing Jimmy G out of the blue at this point. Uh, it, it, look, it, it's, it's late. It, it, it's off-season chatter. It's a media-driven narrative, I think, is what it is at this point. I'd be surprised if he leaves town. As far as the Patriots moving up to get a quarterback, I, I really don't see that. I suppose it's possible. It just doesn't really jive or mesh with Belichick's overall draft philosophy with quantity over quality. You know, he'd, he'd rather take picks later than take picks, uh, than, than give picks to move up uh, one one spot. So, so I don't see it. I do think they'll probably take a quarterback 
somewhere in this thing. I, I mean, Stidham is not the answer. They spent a fourth round on him, a fourth rounder on him two years ago. Um, you know, they're willing to let Brian Hoyer walk, you, you know, but uh, frankly, I would have let Hoyer, uh, I would have re-signed Hoyer because he's, I think Hoyer is, is uh, even undersized and even older, has, has a better grasp on the NFL, I think, than Stidham. Stidham, too often to me, looks like a deer in headlights. I know we haven't seen an extended look, but, but there's a reason for that. I think if the Patriots had confidence in him, they would have made, made that switch late last year when, when they were knocked out of the playoffs. Uh, instead, they bring back Cam Newton. They let Hoyer walk, sure. But, but Stidham is, is, it does not have a future as a starter, I don't think, in New England or anywhere else. So that is the elephant in the room. When do they, uh, you know, spend draft capital to bring in a quarterback? Um, do they think they can get another guy in the second round like they did with Jimmy G back in, what, 2014? Um, maybe. But, but to move up in the first round just goes against the Patriot way, quote-unquote, that we've seen under Belichick under the last 20 years. I'd be surprised if it happened. So then, it, I mean, I'm looking. They, I think they got about 10 picks between round. Uh, and every round, um, in, in, including, you know, like three, three in the fourth round or so. Um, it, it, so you think they'll stay pat on terms of, in terms of having that many and maybe even trading down to get more, or do you think they're gonna kind of fill it out like uh, Belichick kind of does and, and show, sort of shows his hand on draft day? I think, again, the name of the game is getting as many picks as possible. That's always been the case, uh, whether it's for the, for the draft this year, for the draft next year, for the draft two years from now. Uh, it always seems like that's the philosophy to bring in more guys. And this is a year where, they've, as you mentioned, they've had money, brought in uh, more free agents in, in one fell swoop than I can remember, at least for, a, you know, it's been a while since we've seen them bring in, uh, you know, bona fide veteran starters from other places. Uh, so, so that's interesting from a personnel perspective in general. Then you add on, as you said, the, uh, the draft with, with the 10 extra picks. You can now have, you know, have a good chance to, quote, unquote, reload. I don't think it's a rebuild, but I think it's a reload here in New England, uh, you know, a year plus out in, in, in the post-Brady era. And, I think, again, it's a, it's a good opportunity to add, continue to add depth at, at, at all kinds of positions, offense, defense, special teams, um, you know, the secondary, the front seven, the front four. Uh, I, I mean, there, there are spots still up for grab. I mean, there's, there's, frankly, LA, there's a lot of good players on this roster. Uh, as Patriots fans should feel better right now than they did on April 1st, 2020 about this team in my opinion. Um, you know, I think they have done a pretty good job so far in free agency, and they've got a, really a chance to, to land that right hook after throwing the left jab, so to speak, uh, with the draft, if they can get some of these picks right. You know, you, you mentioned not rebuild but reload, Nick, and you look at the the roster, and certainly there's some talent there. You're right. I do agree with that. Um but it, it, it's going to take some time to um, 
get Cam. Hopefully he gets it in the offseason. I'm not saying it was all his fault, certainly, but, you know, to get him right, if you will, into, into that system. But also, you know, bringing in a veteran tight end, but having some young wide receivers in a division that has a Buffalo Bill team that's very good and continue, will continue to be good. The Dolphins are getting better, you know, and the Jets are the Jets. But so you don't think it's rebuilding at all um, based on that, the the climate of of that division and and based on where this offense will or will not be next year? Um, Well, I I will say this. I I think so far so good. You know, typically – the NFL offseason is a two-part process. The month of March, first two weeks specifically of March, uh, or of, of free agency mid-March, and then, of course, late April when the draft comes. So if, if organizations spend their money well, and a lot of times that means just keeping guys at home for the good teams, right, uh, then combined with, with the draft, can you add, I think, at least three starters would be my uh, kind of benchmark. You know, year in, year out, can a team through the draft add at least three starters? If you can do that, you're typically in pretty good shape. I think the Patriots, uh, by bringing in these veterans in the offseason, and we're talking, you know, seven, eight, nine different, ten different guys who have started and had success elsewhere. You know, guys like a a Nelson Aguilar, not an A-list celebrity, obviously, not even probably a B-list celebrity, but a productive player that can play the slot, that can play the outside, that can probably catch 60 balls, 65, 70 maybe on a good year, thrown his way, a former first-round pick. I think that's an excellent signing. Uh, same thing, Kendrick Bourne, kind of a versatile receiver. You can throw inside, throw outside. Um, you know, you bring Myers back, who you know probably is best slated as a fourth or fifth receiver, not a one or a two like we saw towards the end of last year. So, you know, just, just for instance, I, I think they've added more depth already. Uh, and then the Cam thing, you know, we, we talked about this last time. I think with a full off-season workout schedule, an actual preseason, you know, that can go a long way. I mean, he basically just showed up out of, out of nowhere, threw on some shoulder pads, and was taking snaps on opening day in September saying, hey, guys, my name's Cam Newton. Uh, I'm your new teammate, and uh, I'm the guy who's going to fill in for Tom Brady. You know, that, that, that's impossible to ask for for anybody to do that. Uh, at the same time, obviously, he has to be better, particularly in the red zone. Um, but he, he's got to be more accurate, sure. I don't know how much actually better he can be, but I do know that he can fit into the system, fit into the locker room, have more of a command in the locker room, perhaps than we saw last year where he just kind of, you know, got thrown into the fry, uh, frying pan. So that I do think will make a difference. Um, and, and then again, up and down the roster, the defense needed a major overhaul. Uh, they got old quickly, in my opinion, last year. Uh, never quite had an answer on the edge. They bring in a pro bowler in Matt Judon, who's ready to go. Uh, Winovich, you know, last year's, Back master or whatever, you know, third-round pick from two years ago. He's entering year three. He's shown a lot of promise. And then, they, you know, the secondary was probably the highlight of last year. 
Uh, they'd like to bring back Jason McCourty again, but, but the other guys are still there. They're deep at corner. Um, and, and then, you know, linebackers, we'll see. Raekwon McMillan, another underrated veteran. They bring him in. I think they probably add some more depth in the draft there. Uh, and, and then the dual tight end thing I think is fascinating. I really do. Uh, with Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, uh, both guys, when healthy, are difference makers. Both guys uh, should be able to help out Cam, particularly inside the 20 in the red zone. And then you have two, uh, two veterans now, but, but second-year guys behind them, uh, that, that the Patriots spent third-round picks on last year, and Dalton Keene and Devin Asiani. So, you know, th- that, that is, is interesting, where, where Belichick and offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels uh, now can really kind of start to get creative. They've got a rushing quarterback. They can go big jumbo sets with two, three tight ends. Okay, the defense says, well, you want to do that? Then we're going to bring an extra beef up front. Well, then, okay, you can step back and also spread them out a little bit, especially if, if Julian Edelman could stay on the field. Um, you know, I, I don't expect much, frankly, from him at this point. I think his better years are clearly behind him. But, but if, he, if he can string together a healthy fall, he could probably still be productive, and, uh, and we'll see what kind of an aerial attack they have. Meanwhile, again, you want to you go thin, you want to bring nickel packages out. Okay, we go right back to big with the two tight ends. Uh, Sony Michelle again, health. Uh, you know, God willing, he stays healthy. Um, he ran with a little bit of fire in December when it didn't matter last year. I think that was more to show, uh, you know, the front office that hey, I'm still here. I'm healthy, and when I'm healthy, I can be productive. Uh, type of thing. You know, they bring back James White on a one-year deal. I think that's a pretty solid move. Damian Harris, one of the bright spots from last year, uh, is back for year two in that backfield. So, again, there's pieces for sure. And then, again, then then you add the 10 draft picks on top of that. Um, You know, we can talk about the O-line if you want. But but I I think, again, like I said 10 minutes ago, the Patriots now are in a much better shape on paper than they were on April 1st, 2020. It's night and day difference. Yeah, and it's funny you bring up the tight ends, too, with uh, um, the the talent where they can – they have two veteran guys. They really haven't had that option since Hernandez and Gronk, really, if you go back. Right. Um, in terms of catching and blocking and doing all those things and having that talent. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, it, you know, it. you're right. With um, with uh, Josh McDaniels, they'll, they'll get creative. It'll be interesting to see who they, they pick in the draft and, and how he uses those those draft picks like he always does. Real quick, see the, the Red Sox uh, opening day roster. Well, actually, let me backtrack because I did get a question about the the NFL and the um, deciding and the Players Association going along with it with the 17-game roster. Now you've had some players, some veteran players and, and you know, famous players coming out uh, and saying they don't like it. But, again, if you're a union, you knew it was on the table. You knew it was coming. You had to vote for it. You had to, You didn't want it. You should have voted against it. But it's here. So what do you think of that? Of course, they took away the one uh, preseason game to push the Super Bowl back. So they're trying to give a little bit of space. But, obviously, it's a money grab. But your thoughts on the 17-game schedule? You summed it up perfectly. It's a money grab. That's all it is. 
um, you know, which, which, as you said, shouldn't be a surprise. This has been talked about for the better part of a decade. Uh, they have not expanded the schedule in almost three decades. Um, you know, 16 makes more sense than 17 in my mind. But at the end of the day, you know, will the players be compensated, you know, appropriately? I would hope so. That's, again, another game at full speed where you're sacrificing your body. You know, they should demand uh, some kind of a, a compensation. It may have been in the deal. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, how is the league really doing themselves a favor, though? You know, if you make a team play a week 17, you're asking them to, as I said, risk not only their, their health in the long term and in the short term, too. So let's say a Kansas City, you know, has to play that extra game, right? The last week of the regular season, uh, you know, Patrick Moneymaking Mahomes goes down, whereas he would have been healthy for the playoffs in a regular 16-game schedule. So there are ways this thing could backfire on the league and on teams. But, but I, I don't know. I, I would have voted no, you know, not just as a player, but as a fan. I would have voted no. Uh, at the same time, I'm not losing any sleep over it either. I mean, 16 um, is better than 17, in my opinion, but not that much different either. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, and, and incidentally, Kansas City, I think, plays Green Bay week 17. Um and uh, if I'm not mistaken, or they're matched up, I'm not sure if it's week 17. But you're right; it's it's, it's a danger, especially if the the team needs to get in the playoffs for that game, and so they got to play these guys, and then it's hurt. Now, a lot of fans that I've read and and looked at actually, you know, they're football all day, every day, so they love it. But I'm with you um, from the standpoint of the game, and it can backfire. Um, on the league, so they better be careful with this. Um, trying to say that they're compensating it with the the less preseason, but then you don't get the extra week to look at your rookies and guys like that either. So it's just right. It's 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 totally it's totally a money grab, and it's totally I think I would definitely it would have been an absolute no if, if it was me. Um, final question for you: uh, You look at that. Red Sox roster obviously rained out, or I mean they're not playing today because of the weather. Um, but Evaldi was to start. I mean, you you look at the projected lineup. I would think it'd be, um, you know, Vasquez behind the, the plate and Dahlbeck at, at at first, and obviously you got the the, the Bogarts and guys like that. The outfield looking with Cordero and Renfro. Um, when you look at that that. Um, outfield, the, the on-the-field team, and then you look at that pitching staff, especially in this division, where do you rank Boston, and how do you think they're going to do overall this year? I mean, Toronto, I thought, had a nice pitching staff. It was only one game. I watched the game. They looked really good. But, you know, the Yankees' uh, pitch, uh, bullpen looked good, too. Um, but when you, when you rank Boston in that division, where do you see them, and, and how do you think they'll do overall this year? If they finish 500 and out of the basement, I think that's a victory. If they finish fourth uh, and somewhere in the 500 ballpark, I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good victory. They'll score runs, I think. 
they'll score runs. They scored runs even last year when, you know, they went 24 and 36 or whatever. You know, they're, they're top 10 pretty much across the board hitting, but, but you know, the, the starting pitching is horrendous. The bullpen is thin. Uh, you know, to have a, a Matt Barnes as the closer doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence for me. I think he's, you know, he, I think he's a good pitcher, but I think he's better suited in the eighth than in the ninth. But, I mean, they're thin after even that uh, very quick. Adam Adovino is a veteran, you know, probably better days behind him. Um, I guess the one bright spot that I'll be watching for would be the uh, the number two starter in Tanner Hulk, first rounder, uh, 25 years old, first rounder from 17. Uh, 25 years old, uh, top five, you know, prospect ranked in the system. Uh, he, he could be a lone bright spot. We'll see. Uh, and, and could potentially take over at, at the head of that rotation, depending on what happens with Eovaldi, who is not 100% healthy either and is not, frankly, another guy ideally you want at the top of a rotation. He's a, he's a fifth starter guy at best uh, and more of, I think, a, a weapon kind of a, either a long reliever. You can bounce him in and out of the bullpen. That's how he was traditionally used in Tampa, not as a number one starter in the, in the American League East. Um, you know, so, so they're going to they're gonna get shelled. They're going to give up a lot of runs. They're going to lose games. Uh, can they outscore opponents and take advantage of, you know, the back end of the rotation on the other side? I think that's the question. Can, can they, you know, win games um, to minimize the damage? Can they win some rubber matches at Fenway? Uh, we'll see. But I, I don't know. Who knows this year, L.A.? Who knows? I mean, it, again, we're coming out of the bubble, so to speak, but we're still a long way away from being normal. You know, where where bleacher tickets at Fenway Park are now going for $5,000, we are a long, long way from normal. So who knows? Your guess wow. is as good as mine, but I would say uh, a fourth-place finish at a 500 season would be an accomplishment for them. Uh, are the fans disappointed that they didn't really kind of improve the roster, especially the pitching? Yeah, the, the fans aren't happy up here, to, to keep it brief. Um, you know, we've been spoiled the last 20 years. But, uh, but yeah, people aren't, aren't too happy right now with, uh, with, with exactly that, the lack of uh, progress that we've seen uh, in the last three months being uh, at the top of the list, for sure. Mm. Well, um, as a Yankee fan, that's the gift that keeps on giving. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that, and hopefully we can – Hopefully we can compete for the uh, division as well. Nick, as always, man, I appreciate your time, and uh, be safe. I'll talk with you next week, sir. Thank you. I go raise Yankees today's L.A. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Nick Anastas, always good to have him on from Anastas Media, his own media uh, corporation, and, of course, of UMass Lowell. On the Bassin News Radio Show and the Bassin News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill. If you miss any part of our broadcast, make sure you go to our website. And the page is right there, the Bassin News Radio Show page at the top of the link, top of the page on the Bassin News Radio Network. Stay tuned.
same as dog. But the dog that takes this tail will be busy. Be the happy dog. Rhythmic dog. Harmonic dog. House dog. Kick dog. Dog of the world unite. Dancing dog. Funky dog, nasty dog.
Welcome back to the show. Don't forget, uh, if you miss any part of our broadcast, uh, you can go to our website, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, the bachelor with the T, newsradionetwork.com. Go there, and uh, our page is right at the top left. You can listen to any of the broadcasts, any of the interviews that you missed on this show. You can go there and check them out. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show. We thank you for joining us, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Press 1 to get on the line if you have questions. Love to hear from you. He's L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for checking out the show, the Bachelor News Radio Show. I don't make it home tonight. Maybe make love to you for the night.
Hey, this is Craig Bachelor Jr. And this is Kevin Bachelor. And this is Smooth Smooth Say. And you're listening to The Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Days of my life. Hey girl, I 
treasure you, yes I do, yeah Can you hear me calling out your name? Can I give you all the things that you need? Can I give you all the love that you want? If you can stand it, baby I will always love you, baby I will always trust in you I will always
If they dream in the sun while they spinning, they sit on my truck and I could remember. And if it came in the snow, snow, in a bag, then I could remember. And if it ripped from my wrist and it looked like it shined like losing, I could remember. But oh, girl, I forgot to be a lover. If it wasn't for the nine of five doubled up over time, then I could remember. If it wasn't for the Sunday or star weekend game, girl, I could remember. And if it wasn't for the show, Mississippi Jesus show, girl, you know that I could remember. But silly me, silly me, oh, tell me how could I ever forget to be your number
woman and he is my man We can talk about anything He's got nothing to hide He's not afraid of his feelings He's not a slave to his pride He's giving me love So steady He touches my heart Now I'm ready He touches my soul
While you slept 
The promise was unkept, but your faith was a sure as a star. Now you're free, and the world has come to see just how proud and beautiful you
Here and 